This Real Agriculture podcast is brought to you by Genesis Fertilizers. Nitrogen fertilizer is your farm's number one expense. Farmers are working together through Genesis Fertilizers to solve the problem of high prices and security of supply by planning a state-of-the-art nitrogen plant. Security and earnings through ownership is the solution. Visit Genesis today at genesisfertilizers.com to learn more. Joining me now to talk about the wild pig problem is Aaron Sumrall. He's the Director of Outreach and Education at the Pig Brig, which we're going to find out what the heck that is. Uh, welcome here, Aaron. Thank you. I'm glad I'm here. All right. So let's start with, and, and honestly, if I don't care if you live in Canada or the U.S., if you haven't heard about the wild pig problem, uh, you better, because this is a, a big one and a growing one. But if you could put it into some perspective, either for your state or your country or, frankly, North America. Uh, what are we tackling here when we talk about the wild pig problem? Well, one of the things that we're looking at is it's just an, an exponentially increasing problem. Uh, right now in the states, uh, about 35 states have breeding populations of pigs, and, and they're moving uh, pretty proficiently across the United States and really not any place that's limited to where they can go or what they can do just because of the adaptability of the species. Now, in Canada, we're seeing that just on the cusp of becoming a major issue there. And, and the reason for that is that they, they're a little bit longer in trying to get their foothold in place to be able to establish those breeding populations where in Canada right now, most of those sounders uh, and the sounder of pigs is just a family group of pigs is, uh, is very transient. So it's somewhat making management a little bit harder, making population estimates in Canada a little bit harder. But the one thing that's definitely uh, in place for what you have up there for your pig populations to grow off of is just unbelievable amounts of, of agriculture that's available to those pigs, as well as a lot of plants and animals and, uh, and so forth that they can make a food resource out of as well. So, and this is one of the things that for anyone who's sort of looked into this issue or has heard about it in their own backyard or own area, uh, there was a, there was a time where, you know, the going sort of thought was that a domesticated pig that got out or released into the wild, they, they simply wouldn't survive. How did we end up in this problem is perhaps one of the questions I have. Right. Well, and, and, the, and, the, and the problem started the same way in the States as it was what we're seeing in Canada. I mean, and whenever pigs were brought over back 500 or so years ago, they were brought in as a livestock species. And they just, uh, as the westward expansion of human population occurred, there were a few pigs that were dribbled across the landscape as people moved from east to west. And those pigs had to adapt, they had to evolve, they had to acclimate to whatever environment they were exposed to. And in Canada, is no different. So, I mean, there's a lot of those places that are in, 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 around the, the, the Canadian landscape that have had domestic pigs that, for whatever reason, they're no longer in, in domestic captivity. And, and the, the thing that we need to think about with the term feral, when we think feral pig, well, we got feral cattle, we've got feral dogs, feral cats. What that just means is that at some point in the lineage of that species, they were once domestic. Well, when we think about pigs, after a pig has been forced to live off of the landscape without human intervention or human assistance for about two months, they are now considered feral. So they could have very, very well started their life as a domestic species. It could have been a domestic adult that had already went into the breeding cycles that once they were put out on that landscape – then, then, and, and have learned how to adapt and evolve, they're now feral. So what that situation brings to the table in Canada is a little bit different than what we see in the States is that there's a large influx or a large percentage of the, the pigs that are on the landscape up there in a feral capacity that are extremely high 
purity levels as far as the direct species uh, or, or subspecies like a Hampshire or a, or a Landrace or a Yorkshire or something like that, which means that those animals are, are, are bred to breed. So mm-hmm. you, you can definitely put a lot of pigs on the landscape in a short period of time, but the 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 thought that you had alluded to there about the the Canadian environments holding these pig populations in check, we just need to remember too about the adaptability of the species. We also need to remember too what is one of the best insulators out there on the landscape that's naturally provided. It's snow. Mm-hmm. So in the wintertime, whenever it may be negative 60 above the level of the snow, those pigs just simply burrow under a pretty solid blanket of snow. They combine body masses, body capacity. They share heat. They survive. Uh, it's, it's, yeah, yeah. given the winter does take quite a few of those younger adult or younger piglets, but if they can live through that first winter, we have an, uh, an animal that's not likely going to succumb to weather conditions moving forward. Which is terrifying. Anyway, I've worked with pigs. It's a bit scary, I'll be honest. No, right? I mean, they have sharp teeth and they are, they're omnivorous. I mean, they'll eat crops, they'll eat plants, they'll eat truffles, frankly. Um, It's kind of a tongue in cheek thing for us down here is we say that they'll eat everything with a calorie. There there you go. So, but that does bring us to the question of, of course, the environmental impact, the biodiversity impact of having wild pigs on the landscape. I mean, I've certainly heard of of the extensive crop damage that they can do. What is the biggest concern, at least from the biodiversity perspective? Because, of course, there would be a a biosecurity issue, too. But on the biodiversity side, what are we worried about? Well, the biodiversity side, too, is is also going back to the fact that they're an opportunistic omnivore. Uh, About 80 to 90% of the pig's diet is going to be made up of plant matter, with the remaining being animal matter. And with that animal matter, it's going to be anything from grubs to beetles to deer fawns to sheep and goat lambs and kids things of that nature so when we think about the biodiversity impacts we also can need to think about some of the or the endangered species that depend on micro environments to sustain their their capacities they may not live in a in a very broad area but they're completely dependent on that habitat pigs come into those habitats that are extremely sensitive already they destroy that habitat then thus goes the species we're seeing that not just uh, in the United States, we're seeing that all over the planet where pigs come into those, those niche environments and they're, and they're eliminating species very readily. The other thing that we need to think about with regard to biodiversities is that, you know, I mean, you can talk to farmers and ranchers and you bring up the, the, the word coyote to a farmer or rancher, and usually it gets followed by several adjectives to describe that species. But you think about where that's going to the pig indirectly affecting the farmers and the ranchers with the the coyotes kind of stuck in the middle is because a lot of Canada is prairie environment type settings. And those have extremely high populations of rodents and, 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 and mice, rats, voles, whatever the case, that is the staple of food for your coyotes, for your bobcats, your foxes, or wherever wolves are, anything like that. Well, pigs being an opportunistic omnivore, they find a population that's there being those those types of rodents. They're going to stay on that food source until it's exploited uh, or eliminated. Well, what what now do those predators have to do in order to basically make a living? If those natural food sources aren't there anymore, then what are they going to do? Are they going to shift focus to your deer fawns? Are they going to shift focus to hitting your turkey poults a heck of a lot heavier? Mm -hmm. Or are they going to work on your kid goats and lambs? Because they have to make a living too. The other thought is too, for those urban environments, if that, that, that food source for some of those predators are eliminated in rural environments, they're going to move closer to town, closer to where people are, because people means uh, there's going to be some type of a food source there, whether it be through trash, 
pets, food, whatever the case may be. Mm-hmm. So the so the other thing about it is one of those one of, I live in Texas, so one of the things we definitely enjoy in the fall and the winter time of the year is the the waterfowl migrations down to to where I live and uh, and the recreational opportunities that come that way. But whenever those birds leave and they go back home, mo- uh, those birds, uh, ducks, geese, whatever else, think about where they nest. They're nesting on the ground, right? Mm-hmm. So whenever we have those birds molt and they start nesting and they do what they do, they're completely vulnerable to whatever is a ground nesting predator that's, that's on that landscape. So whenever you find a few of those natural predators, again, too, with your, your coyotes and your foxes and so forth, they take a few. But whenever a pig would get into some of those locations of those ground nesting birds, they just completely decimate it. So it's one of those things that, that wherever the pig goes, destruction follows. And, and that's something that has been the mainstay since the first hoof put its, it put itself on the ground back in the 1500s. Uh, the one thing that we keep thinking about, we keep hearing, is that from from the states, is that the pigs are are going to populate the northern states from from the south, and that's probably not as accurate as what we need to think about. One thing that's different that sets the Canadian pigs apart from the the southern, I guess, strain of, of wild pigs is uh, is simply explained in the in, in a, a wildlife rule that's called Bergman's law or Bergman's rule. And the further north a species goes, the, the they they kind of change their morphology to the fact that they're having shorter legs, bigger bodies, more robust bodies, smaller ears, so forth and so on, as compared to what we see in the south, where we have animals that are much longer legged, bigger eared, because pigs don't sweat, as you're aware of. Yep. And, and and with a longer legged animal, bigger eared animal, uh, smaller framed animal, they're built for expelling that excess heat. Where where you're at. They have to they have to retain that heat. Where you can take that pig that's in those northern latitudes and much easier move that pig south and be able to easily uh, occupy some of our northern states much easier than what we can take our southern pigs and move them to the north. Mm-hmm. Um, as someone who is very short and wide, I'm well adapted to northern climates, so I get it. Right. It's just like right. just like this. It works across species. Okay, so now. One of the one of the considerations here as well is to that point they are very hardy they are very resilient um, they will wipe out a food source wherever they may go and then move on to the next one they're also incredibly difficult to get rid of why is that right well one of the thing is just because pigs are not confined to a range like what you may find another another species like if you have a a deer population uh, deer tend to stay within a given range throughout throughout their whole life. And whatever is available within that life, they have to consume, or they just they don't make it. Uh, pigs are not limited to that le- to that capacity. If a pig needs to basically load the wagon and move 50 miles away to find something to eat, they can easily do that. They're they're going to go wherever um, wherever their 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 stomachs tell them to go. Okay, so whenever things are are not plentiful in the areas where they're at. Uh, they'll typically follow a watershed because water is the mainstay. If there's water there, they can they can flip over enough rocks. They can dig under a few places there to find enough beetles and grubs to stay alive as long as there's water. Mm-hmm. So they're going to follow those 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 uh, waterways to wherever they got they have to go. And it very I mean we do know that we've got some some adult animals that that we found that may travel 50 60 miles uh, for either breeding or, or nutritional purposes. So we we've got to remember that that whenever pigs are 
in a given area on the landscape now, they're not necessarily going to be there next month. And that makes management of that species extremely uh, difficult in most in most cases. Mm-hmm. Now, there are several uh, initiatives, of course, in Canada as well. This is definitely an issue that has, I, in the last few years at least, we've been hearing more about. Um, but we're running out of time, so I want to, what is the pig brig? I can't go somewhere with it because it's a great name, but I have in my head right, what I think right. it is. What is it really? Right. Well, pig brig is the only net patented trap on the planet designed for catching wild pigs. Um, what the pig brig is, like I said, it's a net that's fashioned in a, in a form in a way that uh, I guess magnifies the rooting tendencies of feral pigs to push into and under things, and it functions much like a fish trap. So uh, in the set capacity there, the, the pigs will push under the net, push into the net, and then they just can't come back out just the, the way that a fish trap would work. Uh, the thing that what we do uh, in management with pigs implementing the pig rig is is that the 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 net itself is like 53 pounds the total trap system is about 85 pounds so we can move like we were talking Mm -hmm. about earlier the the mobility of those species to just cover the landscape we don't have to worry about loading up a truck or a trailer and being able to and having to follow those pigs into into locations that are inaccessible we can literally put that that trap in a backpack and take it wherever we want to go we can put it on a snow machine we can put it on an atv uh we can do whatever we need to and go to where the pigs are uh to manage those animals at the place that they're at uh and 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 do so quickly so the way that the the pig rig is employed is is that either you can use the trees that are existing in a landscape which is in those backcountry situations and harder locations to get to that is top shelf way to do that or if you're more in an area that that may be uh, agricultural or something of that nature it's easier to get to a little bit uh is that we use simple t-posts that you use for livestock fencing and uh, and we can move those traps quickly easily efficiently and uh and not have to worry about leaving a big footprint on the land trying to cross it now for those who are potentially looking for more information on the wild pig problem, on what's happening in their area, um, or even the pig brig, where where would you suggest a, a farmer or a landowner start if trying to find some information on this? Well, one thing is if you're looking at your Canadian residents up there, the the, the first point of contact that I would I would become familiar with for the Canadian residents is is stay in touch with your squill on pigs. Uh, effort that's going on across the the, the Canada landscape everywhere. Uh, squeal on pigs is is definitely a sounding board, and they know what's going on in those northern latitudes. As far as everything pigs, that what you may want to to explore is our website, and that is pigbrick.com. Uh, whenever you get there, you'll find everything that we have from education uh, to products to resources, videos. Um, anything that you could that you would think that you would need in a pig management protocol, uh, we've got it right there. But that's pigbrig.com. The other thing that what you can do once you do get to that site, if you have questions there, you can call us directly. We do not farm out anything that we do to somewhere else. You're going to talk to me or someone on our pig brig team, and we know specifically what to do to address your particular situation in your region, or we know who you need to contact in that given region. But to contact us via phone, uh, simple phone number 833-744-2744. So it's 833-PIG-BRIG, uh, and we'll be glad to visit with you. So uh, again, too, I'm, I'm spending some time in Canada in the past, and I'll be spending time in Canada again moving forward to try to make sure that we, we get a thumb on the pulse of that pig situation and remove it.
All right. Well, thanks for that, Aaron, and thanks for this and joining me on the show today. I appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation.